morning. Hasn't it been such a good time with the Lord already? Isn't he good? Isn't he faithful? Raise your hand if by chance you're still adjusting to this time change. Anybody? Yeah, same here. Kind of, kind of sense that. Well, in spite of that, make some noise if you're ready to get into God's word today. Come on. My name is Daniel Sutton, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. I want to thank our lead pastors, Chris and Jody Tomlinson, for the opportunity to share this morning. We're taking a one-week break from our current all-in series through the book of Acts, but we'll actually look at some events that take place in Acts 19, which is where we'll resume next week. And to get us started, I want you to help me name that tune the artist and year that it was released without using Google. And if you know it, sing along. Don't you know I'm still standing better than I ever did? Looking like a true survivor. I'm feeling like a little kid. I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Name that tune. I'm still standing. Yeah, that's a tough one. I know. Name the artist. Elton John. Half you acting like you've never heard it before. Ooh, what is that song? Never heard that one. What year did it come out? Anybody? Not, not 1976. 82's really close. Yeah, that's close as well. 83, first try, 1983, okay, and then of course it was made popular again, being sung by Johnny the Gorilla in the 2016 animated film, Sing, where my parents at, you've seen it about 27 times like me, I bet. Well, have you ever read something or seen something or heard something and then a song comes to mind? It happens to me multiple times per day. And whenever I read Ephesians chapter 6, which is where we'll spend our time this morning, this song comes to mind. And I'll sing it full of faith, that, that last line especially, I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that anybody's declaration of faith? The enemy has come against you, but you're still standing? Amen? Go with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. We'll have the scripture up on the screen as well, also in the app along with some notes. So however you'd like to find that, we would invite you to Ephesians chapter 6. And beginning in verse 10, we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, 
and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Amen? Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've already accomplished in this place. We thank you for your sweet presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Thank you for making your presence known. We ask that you would bless the teaching of your word this morning. Let it be easy for me to teach and let it be easy for us to hear and receive from you. Give us minds to understand, hearts to receive, and hands to apply your word to our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. So when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, it was in, the, the church was in a hot mess, okay? For those that don't know, hot mess is slang for chaotic, disorganized, Having gone through some stuff, they were still going through some stuff when they received the letter. The church at Ephesus was experiencing malice and bitterness and gossip, attitudes and actions that are not indicative of the people of God. Amen? But that's what was happening at the church in Ephesus. Members of the church at Ephesus had once been very strong walking in the power of God, filled with the knowledge and revelation of God. But at the time they were receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul, they were experiencing much less than that. They were living far below what they knew to be true and what they had experienced before. They needed a wake-up call. They needed a fresh touch from the Spirit of God. They needed to know how to withstand attacks that they were facing. And they needed to know who the real enemy was behind these attacks. I wonder if anyone here today or those watching online have been experiencing less than the fullness of God. Have you been walking in anything less than when your relationship with God first began? Does anyone need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit? Not just to adjust to the time change. Has anyone been punched in the face by life and needs to be reminded of how to armor up and keep standing against the attacks of the enemy? That's what today's word is all about. And listen, church of God, child of God, if that is your current situation, don't be surprised. Because when God does something in you, the enemy will try to steal it and mess it up. When God is moving, the devil tries to stop it. When God moves, the enemy moves. Raise your hand if you're familiar with Newton's third law of motion. Anybody? For every action or force in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. This is also true in the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. When God takes action, the devil reacts. The only difference is the devil's reaction is not equal to God's action. Amen? But it's vital that we armor up and keep standing firm. So the Spirit of God 
writing through the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, wrote to them to remind them of who they were in Christ, to remind them of what they had experienced. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul told the church at Ephesus that you were elected by God. You were adopted into the family of God. You were redeemed. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul told them that they were saved by the grace of God. In Ephesians 3, Paul told them that they were part of God's eternal purpose and plans for his church. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 were much more doctrine, and then chapters 4 through 6, much more practical. In Ephesians 4, Paul told them that they were unified. They were equipped to operate in the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In Ephesians 5, Paul told them that they were children of the light. He told them to make the most of every opportunity and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the first half of Ephesians 6, Paul addresses families and employees and urges all of them to serve as unto the Lord. Oh, by the way, if you're here this morning or watching online and, online and you are in Christ, if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior and are in relationship with Jesus, then all of Ephesians applies to you as well. Because God's word is truth and truth is timeless. Amen? So after all that, we get to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where we read this morning. Paul began his closing thoughts, and he starts with the word finally, or another version would say a final word. And that may not seem all that important at first glance, but in Greek, it is vital. It means much more than our typical understanding of the word finally. In Greek, it's the word telika, and it means to the last and most important matter at hand. In other words, Paul saved the best for last. He's telling the Ephesians they need to especially catch this part of the letter. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong. This was not a suggestion. This was not his personal and professional recommendation to the church. This was not something for the church at Ephesus to prayerfully ponder over. This was a command. This was strong. In Greek, this was an imperative statement, meaning Paul is saying, church, I am your spiritual father, and this is what I want you to do. When Paul tells the people of God to be strong, he's telling them to be powerful, to have dunamis. That's the Greek word for power. That's used to describe a force of nature like a hurricane or like the full force of an advancing army. Be strong. Be strong in. This power can be placed inside of us. Christian, you can be a carrier, a container of the power of God. And this divine power will transform you. This dunamis power is found only in the Lord. In the Lord. It's locked up in the person of Jesus Christ. We can't find it anywhere else, but we can find it. We can get it. And God actually made it fairly simple because God put the power in Jesus and then he puts us in Jesus. So we have access to this power. We just have to take it and by faith apply it to our lives. Paul takes it a step further. He levels up. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
his mighty power. Another version says, in the strength of his might. Paul makes a distinction between power and might. Again, that Greek word dunamis for power refers to a force that is demonstrated, something that can be felt. It's visible. It's tangible. This is the power behind miracles, signs, and wonders, and healings, and casting out demons, all of which God is still doing. You see the results. You feel the results. Raise your hand if you have ever had someone pray for you, and you tangibly felt the presence of God heal your body, give you clarity, answer that. Yes, praise God. That is the power of God. The word might in this verse, the strength of his might, is from the Greek word iskus, which could be used to describe a jacked bodybuilder, okay? The picture is of a big, super-defined, muscular man. Who is that man? That man is God. Picture God flexing his muscles as his power flows through you. Raise your hand if you have ever prayed for someone in need, and in doing so, you felt the strength of God's might flow through you. Maybe the situation didn't change in front of your eyes in the natural, but you were convinced that, that the Spirit of God had, had moved through you. Yeah, raise your hand again, because that just is encouraging to see. That is the might of God. And we can have both, church, the power and the might. In the next few verses, Paul connects God's divine power to his divine arsenal. In verse 11, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on all of it, every single piece, so you can stand firm against the devil's strategies. I don't know about you, but I used to apply this verse to my life when I was a bit younger by waking up some mornings, and I would, I would pray this out loud. I would speak this out loud and sort of purposefully pretend to put on the armor of God. Like, you know, today I put on the helmet of salvation. You know, I take up the shield of faith. You know, like, helmet, breastplate, belt, and shoes, belt, and shoes. You know, I would kind of pray through this scripture and, and apply it in that way. It was just a way that I activated this, uh, my faith with this scripture. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, maybe you've done that before. Maybe you still do that. I'm not telling you to stop. I don't do that so much anymore. Um, not sure why. Maybe I'll start again. But I want us to consider something. When Paul said we should put on the armor in verse 10, I'm sorry, in verse 11, it's the same exact words as when he said be strong in verse 10. Put on the armor of God, and be strong in the Lord. Same exact words used there for put on and be strong. I think this shows us that the power of God that transforms us actually puts the armor of God on us already. When we are walking in God's power, we are also walking in the arsenal or weaponry that he provides us. In other words, when God's power hits us, not only does it fill us, not only does it change us, but it quite literally puts a helmet on our head and a breastplate on our chest and a belt around our waist. It gives us a shield and a sword and shoes. Amen? God's power and presence literally fits us with the whole armor of God. 
we might be walking around with the armor of God on and not even using it. We have everything we need for this fight. But if we want to be dressed in his armor, we must be walking in his power. And the moment you start walking away from the power of God, you're in trouble. You're vulnerable. The weapons start falling off. That's what happened to the Ephesians. They were saved. They didn't lose their salvation, but they became complacent. They were not walking in the power of God anymore. They weren't moved by the things of God like they were before. And therefore, they might as well have been standing naked in front of the enemy. In Acts 19, again, Pastor Chris will be preaching from that next week as we resume the All In series. We read about the Ephesians experiencing mighty miracles. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They witnessed and experienced healings and deliverance. But by the time we read about them again, in Revelation chapter 2, we see how far away they drifted from those early days of experiencing the divine power of God. I want to read Revelation 2 for you quickly. This was a, a late edition, so we don't have it on the screen. But in writing to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Hmm. The Ephesians, they, they still had a church. They were, it was still a pretty good-sized one, too. They were still reading the word of God, but they had walked away from the power they had once known and experienced. That's why the Spirit of God wrote this letter through the pen of Paul, commanding them to return to where they were before. You don't have to raise your hand, but Christian, I wonder, has the fire of God inside of you lost some of its heat? Has the flame dwindled in your life? Were you once more passionate about Jesus than you are today? Did your heart used to break for the things of God, but now not so much? Were you quick to show compassion, but you've grown calloused and cynical? It's time to return to your first love. Return to the lover of your soul. Run back home to the Father. Remember the excitement and the passion that you once had for Jesus, because you can have it again. Amen? So we must put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. The word stand gives us a picture of a Roman soldier standing tall and straight with his head lifted high and his shoulders back full of confidence because of his strength and his arsenal of weapons. That's what you look like when you have God's power clothing you in his divine arsenal. And we can stand supremely confident because of God's power and might inside of us. We are to stand. Stand what? Stand against every attack of the enemy. That word against in the Greek is the word pros, which means standing face to face, eye to eye, getting up in the grill of the enemy. I think about two fighters getting ready to square off, trying to intimidate one another. You know, especially at the weigh-in, 
They get up in each other's face, looking eye to eye. And then again, as they walk to the center of the ring or the octagon, they are just like giving that death stare, right? That's the enemy for those next 12 rounds. That is the enemy. And then they touch gloves, and then they try and kill one another. (laughs) When life hits us with trouble, whether it's a nagging jab or whether it's a left hook that seems to come out of nowhere, however the enemy attacks, we do not have to cower in fear. We can stand tall with our head held high, our shoulders back, looking eye to eye into the enemy. Amen? Because we have everything we need to stand confidently against the enemy. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Who is the enemy? Let's go ahead and identify the enemy. And and I'll start by telling you who the enemy is not. It's not the cashier. It's not that person who cuts you off in traffic. Man, I got cut off this morning on my way to come here and give the word. For real. Like, you know, you know when you're like 295 to 95 and then like that um, 95 lane turns right into the exit for Phillips? You track it with me? Okay. Someone like zoom like... I'm slowing down, and like right before like you hit the curve off that exit, zoom, someone came in, and I was wondering if it was like a setup person, but it wasn't, so y'all are good. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the enemy tested me this morning, but that person in that car is not the enemy. It's not the neighbor who lets their dog do its business on your lawn. It's not your boss. It's not your in-laws. It's not your kid. And parents are like, have you met mine? It's not them. They are not the enemy, okay? Paul tells us in verse 12 who the enemy is. He says, for our struggle, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you see how many times Paul uses the word against in that one verse? It's the same exact word from verse 12. 11, pros, this is reminder after reminder after reminder after reminder after reminder that we are to confidently stand firm against every type of enemy and every attack they would bring at us. Did you know there's more than one enemy? We we see that clearly here. And these same enemies that were attacking the church at Ephesus are the same enemies that we face today. And this enemy is organized and disciplined and focused. This enemy doesn't take chances. They know what attack you are susceptible to, and they will exploit it if given the chance. We are in a war. You've heard that already from the set list to our word from Pastor Chris. We are in a war. You might not like that. It doesn't matter. You might say, but I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't believe in war. Well, you're in one. You might say, I'm a pacifist. Okay. You cannot be a spiritual pacifist. There's no such thing. Okay. Unless you're talking about passing fists at the enemy. You are in a war. So you might as well be equipped to win it. Amen. You might as well. Realize that you've got everything you need to win 
that war. It's time to armor up, church. Our enemy as the body of Christ is the devil and his demons. They are furious if you have surrendered your life to Christ. And they are intimidated by you. They are intimidated by the spirit of God inside of you. And they want to interrupt the plans that God has for you. They want to interfere with how the spirit would move in and through you. But let me remind you that the devil is not as powerful as he would like you to think he is. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul wrote, Now he, God, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. Amen? The devil was conquered by Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave, he disarmed the devil and his demons. That does not mean that the devil has nothing to work with, but he does have way less than he used to. The devil still does have power and particular skills to come against us, but he does not have the advantage. The devil does not have the upper hand. We do. You do. Because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Amen? And we will be a people that walk in the power of his might. The devil has definite limitations, and God has given us the power to defeat him. Part of the strategy we find in James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Attacks will come, temptation will come, but if you cling to the Lord and walk in the power of his might, you will be victorious and you will get stronger and stronger as you resist and resist. Each time that you resist the attack and, and temptation of the devil, you get stronger in your faith. Martin Luther said, quote, one Christian who has been tempted is worth a thousand who haven't. That's pretty strong. Kelly Clarkson put it another way. <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Keep standing firm. I read an article by a pastor who planted three churches, started a Bible school, and, and also a um, kind of ministry networking organization, okay? And he wrote, quote, I once asked the Lord, if we have more power and authority than the devil, if we have the blood of Jesus and the word of God, why does it seem like the devil has so many victories? He said that the Holy Spirit replied, quote, because the devil has something the church doesn't have, commitment organization, and discipline. Ouch. The devil is serious about his work. I'd go so far to say the devil is passionate about his work. That work being to ruin your life and the lives of followers of Christ, to derail the plans of God for his church and for his people. On the contrary, the average churchgoer struggles to attend church once or twice a month. 
Church, we have more power than the enemy. We have more authority. We have the blood of Jesus. We have the word of God. We need to step up our commitment to it. We need to live spiritually disciplined lives. We need to band together and march together like the army of God. And if we do, there will be no stopping us. We will still be standing. Paul continues in verse 13. Therefore, or for all these reasons I've laid out for you, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. Facing evil, it's not a matter of if, but when. Can I get a witness? Yeah. What is the day of evil? When is the day of evil? Well, in this particular case, Paul is talking about any day you wake up to evil around you. Gosh, Daniel, that could be just about every day. Yeah, yeah. If you wake up sick in your body, evil has tried to get into your day. If you wake up anxious or stressed, evil has tried to get into your day. If you wake up depressed, evil has tried to get into your day. Evil can look a lot of different ways. It can look like a lot of different things, and it often tries to mask itself through the various people that we encounter. That's another attempt of the enemy to distract us and try and take it out on that person when it's not that person. It's the devil. It's the demons. It's the enemy of God. Any day that you wake up and feel the devil trying to mess with you, you do not have to take it. You don't have to just, you know, be comfortable in in that miserable feeling. No. You don't have to take it. If you are in Christ, you have his divine power and arsenal of weapons to stand firm against that attack. Amen? Next, Paul writes in verse 13, after you have done everything to stand. After you have done everything to stand. This verse does not mean, well, you tried everything. Just keep on standing. Hang in there. Listen, if the word of God the power of God and the divine weapons of God didn't work, just standing there isn't going to help either. But we know that the word of God does work. The power and weaponry of God does work. So what did Paul mean? After you've done everything to stand, the Greek tense here is so significant. I think I'm a word nerd like you, Pastor Chris. I like to get the nitty-gritty, see what's really happening here. In grammar... All the students are like, ugh, grammar, that's, that's a bad word. The tense shows time. For example, past, present, or future. So what this verse is saying, as we look at the tense of it in Greek, having brought your battle to an ultimate conclusion, you will be the one left standing. That's what it says here. Would you say, I'm still standing? This is a peek at the snapshot that God has taken of your future. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows you will go through some things, but he has given you what you need to endure through those things and overcome them. You're going to take some shots along the way, but you will be standing when the battle is over. The victory is ours. That's why Paul wrote in the very next verse, 14, stand firm then. He's saying, you're going to be standing at the end, so stand firm now. 
Go ahead and stand firm right now. Lift that chin up. Put the shoulders back. Put your faith to work. Keep on standing. If you've dropped some weapons, pick them back up. If you've forgotten the goodness of God and who you are in him, then fix your focus. Quickly, let's take a look at these different pieces of armor that Paul lists to help equip us for the fight. By the way, how did Paul know so much about this armor? He, he had a lot of up-close and personal experience with Roman soldiers during his time in the pen and uh, so was able to describe them pretty accurately. We start with the belt of truth. The belt of truth buckled around your waist or having girded your loins with it. The loins is the lower back, lower abdominal. It's that area of our bodies where the legs meet the torso. Of course, we know what else is around that area too, all right? Soldiers would wear long robes underneath their armor, and they would you know, bunch up this material and like wrap and like tie it up for their protection, but also so that they could move around more easily. And all other pieces of the armor were attached to this one, this belt of truth, because truth is central. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. And where there is truth, there will be lies that try to come against it. So we must start with the truth and keep it in the center of everything and protect it or we will never defeat the enemy. To that, we add the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means being right. Christ gives us his righteousness, but then he also produces righteousness inside of us. And this righteousness protects our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4 says that we must guard our heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The heart is the source of everything else in your life. That's why God wants to make your heart his home. We are righteous when we are obedient to God and his word. Next, we, we put on, call them the shoes of peace. Peace is a very strong characteristic of the Lord. He's described as our prince of peace. In Greek, the word peace means oneness or wholeness. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are made one with him. Oneness with the Lord, therefore, brings peace. And one of the ways that the enemy will try to attack you, and you know that he already has, is by getting you to worry. Worry and peace can't coexist. So if you are walking in the peace of God, you can resist that worry and stand firm against that attack. Philippians 4 says that, let the peace of God guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Next, we take up the shield of faith in verse 16. Roman soldiers carried really big shields, and they were covered with animal hide on the front of them. And before battle, they would dip them. They would submerge them in water and soak them so that when the fiery arrows were shot at them, the soaking wet animal hide would help extinguish those arrows. Similarly, our shield or our faith is made stronger by being dipped or coated in the living water, the living water of God's word and his Holy Spirit. We put on the helmet of salvation. Did you know salvation comes the moment that you place your trust in Jesus and surrender to him? 
but that salvation is still being continued and worked out in you. Anybody grateful for that? That assurance should guard our minds just like the metal helmets would guard the heads of the soldiers on top, on back, on both sides, and even at least part of the forehead. Finally, we take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The swords back then were double-edged and very sharp. We see this in Scripture. And this sword, this Word of God, is both offensive and defensive. Amen? It's really the only weapon that can be successfully used offensively and defensively. I mean, you can try and throw your helmet at the enemy or try and, you know, slap them with the belt of truth, but then your robe might come undone and then you'd be in a world of trouble, just unsafe. Just stick with the sword. The word of God is the best weapon to combat the enemy. It can proactively set the enemy on notice, and it's also the perfect reaction to his attack. We find in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 that The devil tempted Jesus three times in the wilderness, and each time Jesus responded with the truth of God's word to those attacks. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Then we get to verse 18. Let's call this the bonus weapon. Pray in the spirit. Technically not one of the official pieces of armor given, but so incredibly important. It too is offensive and defensive in nature, right? We can easily shift our prayers depending upon our situation. We can attack the enemy with prayer. We can defend with prayer. We can counterattack with prayer. We can pull down strongholds through the power of prayer. We can take back territory through the power of prayer. Prayers of understanding and prayers through the Spirit. Prayers of confession and intercession and thanksgiving. And prayers where the Spirit of God himself intercedes and fights on your behalf. Church, pray with your mind and your understanding, but also pray with your spirit from your heart. Sometimes prayer rises from the Spirit of God within you. Let it flow. We should want this kind of prayer life. We should pray for this kind of prayer life. And let us pray not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And let us pray persistently on all occasions. James 5, 16b says, The earnest and fervent prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And stay alert. Stay ready. I've said this before, but a lyric uh, by a Christian rap artist, Andy Minio, says, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Stay ready. Stay ready. And that completes the original battle ensemble of the Ephesians. But as followers of Christ here today, we have access to it as well. Church, you have been provided with everything you need for the fight. You are equipped with the power and might of Almighty God to stand against the enemy and every attack. And when you walk in the presence and power of God, you are clothed in his divine arsenal of weapons. 
So just as Paul encouraged the Philippians in this letter, let me encourage you this morning, get back to that place where you were walking in God's power. Go back to that place where you were experiencing his might. Welcome the Holy Spirit to flex his muscles through you. And be aware, be ready for the schemes and strategies of the enemy, but do not live in fear. For no weapon formed against you will prosper. Amen? Maybe you're here this morning and you've drifted away from the presence and power of God like the Ephesians did. Oh, sure, you're still in relationship with him, but that relationship just isn't quite as strong and thriving like it used to. Come back home. Maybe you haven't drifted away. Maybe you haven't even started yet. Maybe as I recapped the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters stuck out to you. You're thinking, well, I've never even been adopted into the family of God. I've never even, you know, accepted him through his grace. You can today. Jesus loves you so much. Whether you're here in person, whether you're viewing online, he loves you so much. And he created you so that you could know him. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all missed the bullseye. We deserve eternal separation from Jesus. But because of the price Jesus paid on the cross, we can be saved and receive forgiveness, salvation, and spend eternity with him. The Bible says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and with your mouth that you are justified. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for equipping us to not only face and, and survive anything that might come against us, but to overcome, to walk in victory, to live in a place of victory. We're so thankful that we are overcomers. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us to not live in fear, but to live full of faith. Knowing that we can stand eye to eye with the enemy. Put him in his rightful place under your feet. Lord, I pray that you would just draw any that are not in relationship with you. Draw them right now, Holy Spirit. Lead them to repentance. Help them see what's missing in their lives. And Lord, if that's you, I ask that today would be the day of salvation. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Christians quietly agreeing in prayer. If you're here this morning and you have not been adopted into the family of God, if you have not been saved by the amazing grace of Jesus. If you've not asked him to be your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you that invitation this morning. Doesn't matter what you've done. What matters most is what Jesus did on the cross. If you want to accept Jesus today, if you want to begin a relationship with him today, I want to invite you to raise your hand. 
we're gonna declare these words by faith. We're gonna say them out loud so we can hear them with our own ears. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner, but I acknowledge that you are a savior. Be my savior. Be my Lord. All that I am or ever hope to be, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making my heart your home. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.